It's Monday, March 7th. I'm Sarah Y. Kim. The world hits a grim milestone. More than 6 million people have died of COVID-19. The Baltimore County Council will consider a bill that would make it easier to shut down businesses tied to illegal activity. A Tuesday deadline looms for the county council to present a new redistricting map before a judge. And a conversation with Dr. Lena Wen on the CDC's new masking guidelines and the path forward to getting to normal. It's The Daily Dose from WYPR, our latest reporting on Maryland's COVID-19 response and the local news of the day, made possible by GBMC Healthcare. Six million people. That is the number of lives lost to the coronavirus around the world, according to data from the Center for System Science and Engineering at Johns Hopkins University. The running total compiled by the center comes as death rates remain high in Eastern European nations. Public health experts say that six million deaths is likely a vast undercount, and the true death toll due to the virus may never be known. Despite the wealth of vaccines in the U.S., the death toll here is closing in on one million. With the pandemic now at the beginning of year three, the U.S. daily death rate from COVID-19 is beginning to decline more rapidly. The Maryland judiciary is taking a step towards normalcy today. Face masks will become optional for court employees, visitors and judges. The court system is also getting rid of health screenings upon entry to all facilities. Legislation being introduced tonight in the Baltimore County Council would make it easier for police to close down a business for engaging in illegal activity. WYPR's John Lee reports authorities would no longer need a criminal conviction in order to do it. The proposed law targets crimes of violence as well as others, such as prostitution, drugs, and illegal gambling. It currently takes convictions to shut down a place. Under this legislation, it would only take police officers writing up the business for at least two violations over two years. Baltimore County Police Chief Melissa Hyatt says there have been cases where delays getting convictions led to serious crimes being committed. At the end of the day, we want these businesses to operate. We want them to be successful, but we want them to be good partners within the community, and most of them are. The county administrative officer could overrule the police chief and let a place remain open. A business targeted for closing also could appeal. There'll be a public hearing on the legislation March 29th. John Lee, WIPR News. The Baltimore Public Works Department is launching a new information program to boost recycling in the community. Sanitation workers will check recycling containers in neighborhoods to see how residents are doing. They'll leave an informational tag if they see items such as styrofoam containers or plastic bags in a recycling bin. Gas prices across Maryland have reached an unwelcome milestone. $4 a gallon for the first time in 14 years. AAA says the prices jumped Saturday night past the $4 mark. The increase is largely driven by the Russian-Ukrainian conflict, as well as increased demand because more people are out driving as the pandemic has waned. The average price for a gallon of gas in Maryland is $4.04, about a nickel cheaper than the nationwide average. The Baltimore County Council is facing a Tuesday deadline imposed by a federal judge to redraw a new council district map. The judge rejected the one passed by the council because it has only one majority black district. Meanwhile, a second front is opening with the same goal, to make it easier for more minorities to get elected to the council. 
WYPR's John Lee reports. Here is a quick catch-up for you in case you haven't been following every twist and turn of this nearly year-long redistricting saga. Less than two weeks ago, U.S. District Judge Lydia K. Grigsby struck down the map drawn by the county council because it only had one majority black district, even though the county is about 30 percent African-American. Here's Andrew Freeman, attorney for the Baltimore County branch of the NAACP, which sued the county. Baltimore County you know, is now a third black and almost half people of color, and the council representation needs to reflect that. The seven-member council has six white members. All seven, including the one black councilman, Chairman Julian Jones, say they would have to split communities between council districts in order to create a second that has a black majority. A map with a single black majority district held up through months of meetings and hearings before the council passed it December 20th. The NAACP sued the next day. Judge Grigsby struck down the council's map and wants to see a new one by Tuesday. Meanwhile, a new twist. The date of my signature, which is 3-3-22. Thank you. That's Linda Dorsey Walker ceremoniously signing her name to a petition calling for the seven-member council to be expanded to 11. The longtime activist is leading a coalition of community organizations called Four More for Baltimore County. It's launching a petition drive to put the issue on the November 2022 ballot as a charter amendment. My feeling was, after hearing many people ask for a second uh, predominantly minority district and the answer to them being no, I decided it was unfair to continue waiting any longer than we had already waited. Dorsey Walker says more people are demanding a seat at the table. Alejandra Ivanovich is the executive director of Amigos Baltimore County, which organizes forums and food drives to help the county's Latino community. She says she represents the demographic changes occurring in the county. As a community activist, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic, I've seen firsthand the great need of minorities. I believe that by supporting this cause, it will allow for people like me to be properly represented in Baltimore County. The county charter, which lays out the rules of the government, was approved by voters in 1956. It created seven council districts, and although the county's population has nearly tripled to around 855,000, the number of council districts has remained the same. According to the charter, citizens can get a proposed amendment on the ballot by collecting 10,000 or more signatures. Republican Councilman David Marks says increasing the number of council seats from 7 to 11 would be a radical change. It's going to be a tough sell anyway. I mean, I, I've always thought that you know, Baltimore County voters are much more conservative on these issues of the mechanics of government than their political party might demonstrate. Both Marks and fellow Republican Councilman Todd Crandall say they're open to expanding to a nine-seat council, but not 11. Going to 11 just is an expansion of government that is very expensive and not necessary. The county council cost $2.8 million to operate annually. So doing a little division and multiplication, adding four seats would roughly cost the county $1.6 million. John Lee, WIPR News.
So we're now in year three of the coronavirus pandemic. We've been through a host of emergency declarations, easing of mask mandates, vaccines and booster shots, and no shortage of debate about just how far we've come and where we are in terms of returning to what we once knew as normal life. As I mentioned earlier, to date, 6 million people worldwide have died due to COVID-19. The number of positive cases are coming down in many countries. Yet a year into vaccine availability, less than 65% of Americans are fully vaccinated, far behind dozens of other countries. In the U.S., Maryland and D.C. have the nation's lowest daily case rates, with our state's positivity rate standing at less than 2%. The CDC has recently changed the way it measures high infection areas and has lifted their across-the-board mask mandate. Dr. Lena Wen, an emergency room physician, author, public health expert and former Baltimore City Health Commissioner, is no stranger to calling out the CDC when she feels its guidance is misguided. She joined WYPR's Midday with Tom Hall today, where she said the most recent CDC decision to revise their metrics and ease mask guidelines was the right move. I do think that it's about time for us to have a different understanding of COVID-19. This is not 2020 or 2021 where all we really needed to care about was case counts because at that time, especially before vaccines, a rise in cases and a surge in infections always led to hospitals becoming overwhelmed and then an increase in the number of deaths. We have, for the most part, been able to successfully decouple infections with hospitalizations thanks to these powerful, incredible vaccines that we have. And so I'm glad that the CDC revised their metrics so that we're not just looking at infections. We're specifically looking at hospital capacity and severe cases of COVID-19 severe enough to lead to, um, to, to people being hospitalized. Now, because hospitalizations lag infections, case counts do also also factor into the CDC metric, but overwhelmingly they're looking at um, at, at hospitals and, and, and hospital capacity, which I think, again, is the right step for us as we transition to this next phase in the pandemic. The other part that I like about the CDC's new guidance is that it's just a lot easier to understand that there are three colors. And so um, green corresponds to low level of, um, of, of community transmission uh, or, or community COVID level, which takes into account this hospital capacity issue. Yellow is medium and orange is high. And so in areas of high transmission, in orange, you you should still be wearing a mask. In green and yellow, masks are optional. And I think that just makes it a lot clearer and allows people to think about their own circumstances. And I think we are transitioning overall from where where there is a government mandate for people to be masked versus for individuals to make that decision for themselves and their families. Dr. Wen cautioned we should not abandon mask mandates where they are still needed. But more importantly, vaccine mandates should stay in place. For example, in healthcare settings, in nursing homes, I actually would also encourage, I wrote this in my my post column too, that businesses should even think about places where where they can better accommodate, uh, again, very vulnerable individuals. For example, just as we had earlier on in the pandemic, that there were certain hours of the day where shoppers um, were uh, were older individuals or people who are pregnant or with young kids, etc., that perhaps that could still be a consideration 
consideration that's being nailed. That maybe there are certain hours where grocery stores, pharmacies, places that people have to go. You know, you don't have to go visit a bar, or restaurant, but people do have to go to the grocery store, or the pharmacy. Perhaps they could have mask required times. Now, I actually feel very differently when it comes to vaccine mandates. I wish that vaccine mandates were still in place. And in fact, I've been writing about how of all the mandates to still be uh, around, I really wish that vaccine mandates were not lifted. Um, we have seen in cities like New York, D.C., Boston, L.A., etc., that um, vaccine requirements, proof of vaccination to enter certain optional facilities like restaurants or bars or gyms, that that was a major incentive and motivator for people to get vaccinated, in particular young adults who otherwise might feel themselves to be invisible. Now, of course, those individuals who are not vaccinated, they have a higher rate of being hospitalized, higher chance of getting COVID and spreading it to others. And even with prior infection, vaccination still protects them and others around them too. So I actually wish that we did not drop vaccination requirements, especially for things that are optional, like these restaurants, bars, etc. Now that masks are optional in many congregate settings, Dr. Wen spoke to the narrative around breakthrough infections among those who were vaccinated and those who use it as a reason to not get vaccinated against COVID-19. I think there is this unhelpful narrative that's been going around about, well, if you can get breakthrough infections, even if you're vaccinated, then why do you care if people around you are vaccinated or not? Here's why I care and why I think we should all care. We know that people who are unvaccinated are three to five times more likely to get infected with COVID compared to somebody who is vaccinated. And so if I had to choose, if I'm going to a concert, as, as you were, Tom, or if I were going to work in a conference room or going to a restaurant, I would much rather that the people around me are fully vaccinated. Um, and if they're fully vaccinated and boosted, by the way, they have an even lower chance of having COVID compared to people who are just with the two doses or people who are unvaccinated. And so it does matter if people around you are vaccinated for the purpose of your own protection. Then I think there's also a societal reason as well. The unvaccinated are the ones who are most likely to be to become severely ill. Now, one could say, well, that's their choice, except it becomes our problem as well if individuals who are unvaccinated end up straining our healthcare system and then we all end up paying the price. You can hear Dr. Wen's entire interview with Tom Hall on midday at WYPR.org. We're always happy to hear from you, and we'll be here for you again on Wednesday. The Daily Dose is brought to you by WYPR, made possible by GBMC Healthcare. Big thanks to my news team colleagues, Rachel Bay, John Lee, Joel McCord, Emily Sullivan, and Callan Tanzel Suddeth. Our digital content director is Jamila Krempel, and our general manager is LaFontaine Oliver. The executive editor of The Daily Dose is Danielle Irby. Stay healthy, stay sane, and stand together. I'm Sarah Y. Kim. Thanks for listening. <laughs>